Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. All right, 11 a.m. How are you? Doing good? Awesome. I'm glad that you're here this morning. And uh, man, it's just been an awesome 14 day. Today's day 15, 15 days of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, hey, if you have not been a part of prayer and fasting yet, don't let the past two weeks stop you from connecting with the Lord this week in prayer. We had an awesome prayer service on Zoom this past Wednesday. And this Saturday, I really want to highlight this for all of us. At 9 a.m., we're going to be gathering for one hour at our building. I love what Ashley shared when she did Next Steps this morning. She made you a promise. She made the 930 a promise and a guarantee. She said, I'm, t- I'm telling you, if you come out to prayer service, you will have the best day of your life. And those were her words, and so I'm just going to hold her accountable to it. So you should come out and see if it's true. But really, I'm telling you, you start your day in prayer with other people. How many would say you do feel refreshed? Like there's nothing like worshiping the Lord together. And so this Saturday, 9 a.m. at our building, not here, our building, we're going to gather for one hour. It's a celebration service. It's the end of 21 days. And then we'll have a pizza party and eat all the carbs we want, everybody. And I'm excited for that, too. But uh, God has been so great during this season. Uh, today, we're continuing a series, as I said, all in. And the question that's framing our series together is this. What if you went all in with Jesus? What if you went all in? And we're asking this every week because I really want us to ponder this as we start another year. What if we don't just give God some of our heart, half of our heart, even most of our heart, but we say, I want to go all in with you, Jesus. I want to, the Bible word is, I want to surrender. I want to, I want you to be in charge, be the Lord of my life, the Savior of my life. What would our lives look like? And to describe what our lives would look like, we're making these five declarations that really describe the life of someone who goes all in. So as we have in weeks past, they're going to be on the screen And I'd love for us to make these declarations together. So let's say this. Because I've gone all in with Jesus, I pray first, scroll for truth, worship courageously, truly love people, and have hope. So for these four weeks, we've discovered what it means to be all in. And first we discovered that all in people don't worry first, they pray first. And that's a blessing, not a burden. It really is the gift that God gives us in Philippians where he says, don't be anxious for anything But in everything, bring your requests to God. Like, go to Him in prayer. And during these 21 days, we're so much more aware of that truth in our lives. To say, God, I'm really focused on praying first. And then we learned, if we're going to look for truth, we're not going to scroll through social media and news outlets and other material. We're going to go to God's Word. Because His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And it is truth for our lives. Last week, we saw how two men— Paul and Silas made a decision to worship courageously. Despite the challenge they were facing, despite the hardship and the persecution, they sang out God's praises in a jail cell, and their chains fell, not only theirs, but everyone's. And we asked, what if our decision to worship courageously could cause other people to find freedom? That they would look at us and say, wow, you don't follow the trend of negativity, but rather you worship the Lord. I want to know who that God is. Now, today, to be honest on the front end, this is probably the hardest declaration to make out of all five. 
This one is the one where if you were going to skip a Sunday, you should not be here today, everybody. Like the, the next week, we're going to talk about have hope. We're going to talk about the resurrection and the end of the world and Christ coming back. And it's like, yeah, let me know more about that. But truly love people. Truly love them. Not just deal with them. Put up with them. And I'm talking about people that you don't normally agree with. They live different. They have a different view on masks, vaccinations, and they vote different, and their lifestyle's different, and maybe there's some close family members of yours, and how do you truly love people? So here's what I found to be true in my life. If it's true in your life, don't leave me hanging as the only person. The hardest people to love, the hardest people to love are often the people closest to you. Okay, so the right side's really jacked up. Left side's doing good over there. They're all like, yes, amen, pastor, preach. They're like, no, man, I love everybody. I'm almost over here. <laughs> the hardest people to love, the hardest people to love are often those closest to you. Let me give you a good example. Maybe like me, you've had a challenging day. You had a bad day at work. You found out some news. You, someone put salt instead of sugar in your coffee. It just, it just wasn't a good day. And on your way home, you have to stop at the grocery store. Now, most of us, despite the challenging day, we'll probably do our best to put on a smile and be very polite and kind to the stranger, the cashier. Be, just kind of hold it together. But then you get home, and the people closest to you tend to be the hardest ones to love, and everything is taken personally in that moment. Oh, how come you didn't say hi to me? Hey, you didn't want to talk to me. Yeah, you want to add fuel to the fire. Oh, I got to step across a Lego minefield. You're trying to destroy my life. This is intentional. Right? Suddenly, like the people closest to us are our enemies in that moment because we had a hard day. And it's oftentimes those closest to us. It's a spouse. It's a child. It's a family member. It's a close friend that we struggle with loving the most. And yet, if we are to go all in with Jesus, one of the qualities that define the life of a fully surrendered follower of Christ is I truly love people. So the question is, how do I truly love people? And how do I truly love hard to love people? And how do I truly love close to me people? And it comes down to this, a choice. It comes down to a choice. Now, before we discover the choice, I want you to know some things about the choice. You and I make the choice all the time, whether we're aware of it or not. People make this choice whether they follow Jesus or whether they're not following Jesus. When it comes to truly loving people, all of us are making a choice, and it is the single most important choice if we want to truly love people. And so do you want to know what it is? If not, I'll go home. I, I did this once. All right, I'm going to tell you what it is, but in order— to discover what it is, we're going to actually read Scripture. Now, before we read Scripture, I want to give you a little context of the Scripture we're going to read, because for some of us, we have to do a little bit of unlearning before we head into today's Scripture. So, this Scripture is written by Paul. He wrote it 2,000 years ago, and despite it being 2,000 years old, you and I are going to see how relevant it is to our lives today as it relates to loving people. Paul wrote what he wrote to a group of Christians who had their church in the city of Corinth. This is in the first century. Rome is the ruling empire. This society is brutal. 
They're not thinking about love and how to love people. In fact, marriages weren't built on love. They were built on helping the community. Very different. Life was extremely cheap. And Paul sits down to write, and he's moved by God, inspired by God to write what we call Scripture. It's authoritative. It's God's Word. And as he writes it, he begins encouraging Christians on how to love. Now, you may be familiar with what we're going to read because it is often read at weddings. Maybe you've heard it called the love chapter before. Anyone ever heard of the love chapter in the Bible? Give me a hand raise. Yeah, a couple people. So here's what you need to know because you and I are actually at a disadvantage if you know this as the love chapter. When Paul wrote this, he was not thinking, you know what Christians need? They need a love chapter. Hallmark needs me. In a few thousand years, they're going to need some good words to put on the front of a greeting card for Valentine's Day. Like, I'm going to give them some love passages. Paul was not thinking that as he sat down to write. What Paul was doing was he was moved by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God to pen Scripture to instruct believers on how to live their lives. So this is beyond just wedding and Valentine's and, and your picture frame at home and your coffee mug, and I've got those too. But it's past that. This is God's word directing believers, should you go all in with Jesus, on how to love. So we're going to see the way God defines love. And in that passage, we're going to discover the choice. Now, here's the other thing you got to know. As we read this, you and I are going to—we're going to agree with like 99% of what we read this morning. Like, even if you're not a Christian today, you are going to read it and say, yeah, I could understand why love does that. I could see why love wouldn't do that. That makes sense. That makes sense. And then we're going to get to one line, and that line is going to totally offend you, and it's going to offend me, and there's going to be tension, and we're going to say there's no way God means what he means there. It's got to be something else. And of course, that's where we're going to spend all of our time this morning, around the tension. One more thing you should know— as I'm sharing, I learned a lot about this topic from Pastor Andy Stanley. He pastors North Point Community Church. And so if you hear anything that you really like today, email him. Don't email me. Deal? Okay, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, or, or of angels, but do not have love. Now, every time you see that phrase in yellow, I want you to say it with me. So you didn't know the first time, but we're going to do it again. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but, very good, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So what is Paul doing here? Again, he's not starting the love chapter. He's just writing a letter to believers moved by God. And at this point, he says, hey, by the way, you all know me, Paul. At one point, he says he speaks in tongues more than any of them. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or in heavenly languages, that's awesome. But if I do that and I do not have love, I'm nothing but noise. I'm nothing but a clanging symbol. He's saying, I could impress you with all of my speech, but if I don't have love, none of it matters. And here's where that should apply in your life. It's so great to look up to spiritual leaders. For many of you, I'm your pastor, your small group leader, people that you read or follow. But you and I should not be impressed by the level of their eloquence, whether it's in tongues of men or angels. We should first say, do they have love? I'd say it this way for me. If you want to know the kind of Christian I am, if you want to know who I am, ask my wife. 
Ask my children. Ask those closest to me. Don't just be impressed by anyone's ability to speak. Paul says, hey, I can do it all day long. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing but noise. Which we should start to ask, okay, what are you talking about? Do not have love. He goes on and says, if I have the gift of prophecy, awesome gift, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but, here's your part, there you go, here you go. I am nothing. Paul writes about the gifts of the Spirit that are given to us. And here he's saying the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith. He's saying, I can have these gifts. Praise God. Thank the Holy Spirit for these gifts. We need them to live an abundant life in Jesus. And he says, but, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. He says, if I'm the smartest person in the room, if I've got it all put together, if my faith could move mountains, but I do not have love, I am a nobody. And then he says, if I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now he's going after radical generosity. Now he's like, I'm not just tithing. I'm giving all of it away. So much so that I might even suffer to help other people. But I want you to know, if I don't have love, I gain nothing. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Because he's using these two words over and over again. It's the words you've said. Have love. He keeps saying, have love, have love. I do not have love, have love. So let me ask you a question. Do you have love today? Now, let me answer the question for all of us, not just Scott. Yes. And you all do. Everyone. I'm on your side. You and I all have love. Here's why. Because oftentimes, the way that we evaluate whether or not we have loved is by our own evaluation. It's by our own definition. So you can say, of course I have love. I didn't smack that person. That was me having love towards that person. Of course I have love. I surprised her with a gift. That was me having love towards the person. See, that's, that's the challenge that we're facing. It's the challenge that his listeners face too. As he's going through this, writing to them, they're reading the letter saying, all right, Paul, I know what's wrong with you, but I have love. I have love. I love people. And that's why what he writes next is very important for believers to understand. Because what Paul is going to give us through inspiration by God is a God definition of what love is and what love is not. The challenge you and I face today is, will we let go of our own self-created, self-evaluated, yes, I have love, and instead use the standard that God gives us for having love? So here's what Paul says. You've heard it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. To which I look at that list and I say, Brother Paul, why did you have to start with love is patient? <laughs> Couldn't that have been five or six down the list? Right at the start, you have to remind us that what is, lo- what is love? Love is patient. What does that mean? It's not pushy. It waits on others. Even if it's your children that are taking forever to go to sleep at night, Love is patient. Thank you. (laughs) Love is patient. Love is kind. What does kind mean? Kind means it defers to the other person. It means I may not agree with you, 
I may not be on the same page as you, but I'm going to defer. I'm going to be kind towards you. It does not envy it. It does not boast, meaning it is content. This level of love is content, and it is not proud. We have a family value in our house. We've been saying to our children since they were born, we celebrate when other people win. We celebrate when other people win. And I'm telling you, that is very hard to get a seven-year-old to believe when he's not winning in the game of life. It gets real messy around family game night. Hey, hey we celebrate when other people win. We, we don't get proud just for ourselves. We rejoice. He goes on, he says this, It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Right? What does love do? Well, love doesn't tear people down. How many would agree that's a good definition of love? It doesn't dishonor others. It doesn't gossip. It doesn't backbite. It doesn't post about someone. It doesn't speak to someone's face in a negative way. It's not self-seeking. It's not all about me. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. To which we would say to that one, well, who in the world could do that? And yet we would all say, but you better do that for me. I don't know if I can keep no record of wrong, but you better not remember my wrongs. It's what we want. It's just hard to give. But look at what we've read so far. Honestly, these are things that, again, Christian or not, we would sense. That's a great definition of what love is and what love is not. And then he says this, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Again, something that you and I might look at and say, yeah, I agree with that. Love wouldn't promote evil. It wouldn't promote hardship. Love would rejoice in the truth. And Jesus says those who he knows, he's the truth, are set free. So it rejoices in freedom. It's awesome. So here we are, agreeing with Paul. And this is where you're going to want to look in your seat, and there should be a seatbelt you're going to want to put it on before we read the next verse. <laughs> because up to this point, it's like, okay, I may not be doing it, but I could see myself trying. I could use those definitions. I could execute a patient love, a kind love, a, a not record-keeping love. But Paul is about to say something that is going to bring tension into God's definition of what it means to love. And here's what he says. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes and always perseveres. I want you to read this verse with me. What does love do? It Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, one of these is not like the other in these statements. It feels like Paul is just giving us a rapid-fire list, but one phrase is certainly not like the other three. So let me walk you through them. It always protects. Okay, you may be hurting me, but love is calling me to still protect you, to still be on your side. I think I could do that. Let's skip the next one. It always hopes. So yeah, things have been challenging. Things have been hard, but I'm still going to hope that things are going to turn around because I love you. Maybe for you, it's a family member who doesn't know Christ. And you're hoping with an assurance that comes from knowing Jesus, hey, I love you. God's got a good plan for you. Despite the hardship that's being caused by your actions, I'm hoping, I'm loving. It perseveres. It may be the hardest, most challenging person to love, but okay, I'm going to persevere through this. I'm still going to choose love. But the second phrase, always 
trust. Do you understand what Paul is saying there? In the Greek, the word that we put as trust literally means believes everything. He says this love, if you want to truly love people, you are going to believe everything about them. Yeah, but Paul, you don't know my neighbor. <laughs> you must not have any people that have ever lied to you before. Certainly you don't mean always trust someone who repeatedly hurts me and lets me down and doesn't come through. To which Paul would say, I didn't say that at all. God did. <laughs> I'm just holding the pen. Love always trusts. Love always believes. And this is the choice that you and I get to make when it comes to relationships. Now, what all of us are feeling in this moment is called awkward tension. That's why I got really quiet just a few seconds ago, because we're all waiting to say, there's no way this means what it means, because that's what we're hoping for. Oh, it always hopes. There's no way. So to, to illustrate this, I, I want to show you something when it comes to our relationships. So in every relationship that you and I have, whether you are married, whether it's a child in your life, it's a close friend, it's your barista, doesn't matter who it is, every relationship, you have expectations. You expect that when you order a flat white, you get a flat white, not a macchiato. It's just, you, you expect that. Uh, you expect that when your spouse says, I'm going to be home on time, they're going to be home on time. You expect that when you ask your children to do certain things, that they're going to do those things. We all have expectations in our relationships. Tracking with me? Everyone's there? The other thing that we all have in our relationships is our experience. So, again, I expect this coffee to have a certain amount of espresso shots, and then I experience—this is a latte. There's way more milk than espresso. Something went wrong here. You expected uh, your spouse to pick up the groceries, and then you experienced them picking up the groceries. Great experience that you had. And the choice that you and I get to make happens here in the gap in the middle of what we expect and what we experience. And I told you, every single person makes this choice, whether you're aware of it or not. I'm about to make you aware of it. Everyone makes this choice, whether they are all in with Jesus or not. And the choice is between these two options. When you have an expectation and then you have an experience, you and I choose to either assume the worst or believe the best. Every single time. Every time we have an expectation in a relationship, we get to choose what goes in the middle. We get to choose to assume the worst or believe the best. Here's how this plays out in my life. I asked you to come home on time, but I got to be honest, I knew you wouldn't. I already knew you would let me down because you have before. I've experienced it. I expected that when I texted you, I would experience a response, and I even saw the read receipt, okay? So I know you got it. And now I'm assuming the worst that you're just, you're just ghosting me. Right? We, ex we assume the worst, or, or we believe the best, and we say, hey, yeah, I expected a response, and I know you saw it, but maybe you were busy in that moment. Just, you'll get back to me when you can, and if not, it's not a big deal, because I truly love you. 
I expected you to uh, finish your work on time and have family dinner, uh, but you didn't. So I'm going to believe the best that what you are working on was very important, and you're going to communicate why you weren't there later in life. Is this making sense? We always get a choice to fill in the gap with either assume the worst or believe the best. And Paul says, to truly love people, you always trust. You believe the best. Now, I don't know if you guys are uh, better at this than the 930, but I had to walk them through this a little longer, so I'm going to walk you through it a little longer too. Because in this moment, what's going on in your head most likely is justifying scenarios where that can't be the choice I'm expected to make. Because you and I face challenging people all the time. It starts when you look in the mirror. That'll land on you in a couple seconds. Hey, we face challenging people all the time, and we say, there's no way that I'm supposed to believe the best about that person because they have repeatedly let me down. I've experienced lie after lie. So you're telling me that I've got to just believe the best despite knowing they're going to lie again, despite knowing they're going to hurt me again, despite knowing that they're going to let me down again. So let's talk about that. When you and I have an expectation and then an experience, despite the experience, which means despite what that person chooses to do, here's the truth you and I need to receive today. You choose what goes in the gap every time. You always get to choose. That person does not get to take this away from you no matter what they do. This is your choice. This is my choice. Does that, does that make sense? I know it's hard for it to make sense, but no matter what they actually do, they still do not get to choose for me what I believe or assume about them. You might say about history shows up. We'll talk about history in a few minutes. Regardless, at the beginning, we've got to grasp this. You choose. I choose every single time when I engage in a moment with a relationship with someone else, whether it's friend, spouse, child, family member, stranger, co-worker, doesn't matter. I get to choose what goes in the gap. There's a verse that I love in Proverbs, and it's one that's just, I cling to it. I'm sure many of you may know it. I want to show it to you. Proverbs says this, above all else, meaning here's something that's very important. Above all else, what does he say next? Guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. This is a principle for the lives of those who are all in with Jesus. Do you want to know how you guard your heart? You believe the best every time. You might say, no, it's being naive. No, it's me guarding my heart. Because let's be honest, when I go the other way, when I assume the worst, the guard on my heart is let down, and that's where bitterness creeps in. That's where resentment creeps in. That's where unhealthy expressions of anger flow from. That's where jealousy gets in. All of that junk that is not fit for the life of a new creation in Jesus Christ gets in because I'm not guarding my heart. I'm just letting the patterns of this world get into my heart. But when I choose to believe the best about other people, despite what they are doing, I'm putting a guard up around my heart to say I'm someone who truly loves people. And it's hard. 
it's challenging, especially if there is a history. So let me speak to you. Maybe you have a history with a certain person, and you know, like, Pastor Keith, I get what you're saying, but, I mean, if, if I were to label this person, like, they are a liar. Like, they continue to lie. They continue to let me down. They've broken promises. They, they've hurt me and my family. There's a history there. So why in the world would I give them the benefit of the doubt? Why would I trust them or try them again? History shows that they are going to act this way over and over again. Yes. Probably right. But you still get to choose what goes in the gap. It, they're, they're choosing how they're going to live. They're choosing their responses. They're choosing exactly what they're going to do to you. And you still have the freedom to choose, I'm going to believe the best about this person anyway. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to position yourself to be hurt, to, to be physically abused. And I do want to speak to you if maybe there is abuse in a relationship that might be physical or sexual or emotional or just verbal abuse. The first thing you have to understand when it comes to abusive relationships is distance is required. Distance is, distance is required. Distance is healthy. Even in your distance, you still get to choose what goes in the gap. You still get to choose. And here's how it looks in my life, because I've got people in my life that it, you just know the behavior, know it's going to be destructive, know it's going to hurt. And so I can believe the best by believing this. The reason why you continue to hurt me and others is because you yourself are hurting. But I believe the best. God has a plan for you. I'm guarding my heart. I'm going to guard my heart. See, this is hard for us to understand and hard for us to live out. However, if you are a Christian this morning, you are someone who is saved, you have surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to know that you actually have an advantage when it comes to living this out. Here's the advantage you have you know that this is exactly what God did for you. He believed the best. Could you imagine, go with me into a theoretical world. This is not scripture. This is my mind. It's a scary place, but I'm going to bring you there for a second. Could you imagine if the Father and the Son were discussing the salvation of mankind and Jesus goes, I'm not doing that for them. They're not going to believe in me anyway. They're going to end up nailing me to a cross. One of them is going to deny me. Another one's going to betray me. There's no way. And he just assumed the worst. Do you know on the night that he was betrayed and handed over by one of his own, that man's name was Judas, and Jesus washed his feet hours before Judas would turn him over? Could you imagine if you got to Judas, and we read in Scripture, you got to Judas and said, there ain't no soap good enough for your feet, you betrayer. Get away from me, sinner assume the worst about him, he still believed the best. He still chose to truly love Judas. You may say, well, I'm not Judas. No, but he truly loved you. And he does. I love what Paul, who are reading his words in Corinthians, read his words in Romans. Here's what he writes. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were all clean and put together, while we were perfect, while we had it all right, while we were righteous, while we were living for God. No. While we were still sinners, past tense, if you are in Christ today. But remember, when you were still a sinner, when you were apart from the Father, it was then that Jesus said, I will come and I will die for you because I truly love you. It's the gospel. 
If you're finding it hard to believe the best, I'm there with you. And in those moments, I don't try harder to love people better, but rather I remember the gospel more. Say, Jesus, thank you that you truly love me on my worst days. Thank you. Thank you for believing the best in me. Thank you for making me new. Thank you that if there is hope for me, there's hope for this person as well. Let's read it again together. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Go ahead and say it with me. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Here's what that means. It doesn't let suspicion sneak into the relationship. It protects the relationship. It chooses to trust. Here's a great way to say it. It provides the most generous explanation for the behavior. How different would our relationships look if we chose the most generous explanation? They don't deserve it. No, I understand. But I'm going to choose to believe the best. It always hopes, meaning it always leans on the side of being positive. And it's determined. It's persevering. It's determined to trust. What's the alternative? I wrote down some alternatives. It delights in uncovering mistakes. It just loves to find failures in other people. It thrives on speculation. I knew they wouldn't. I already assumed that they wouldn't. It embraces doubt. So which way do you normally go in your relationships? Do you tend to normally believe the best— And you may say, yeah, but that's naive, but hey, that's how I guard my heart. I believe the best. Or do you normally go, I assume the worst. I'm cynical. I don't trust people. No one loves me. Everyone's out to get me. Do you assume the worst? Do you believe the best? So this is super hard to do. It's kind of easy to do right now because we're just sitting thinking about those people, but we're going to see those people this week, everybody. (laughs) They're going to be around. So what do we do then? And what we have for every single one of us today is a believe the best card, and on the other side is assume the worst. And so some of you, just be honest, you're with me. We need like five to ten of these, okay? We don't need just one. We need one in our car for all the dumb drivers out there, so I just believe the best. We need one in our houses. We need one at our jobs. Like, so take as many as you need, but leave some for your friends. But here's what I'm going to encourage you to do this week. Just like we have our Pray First bracelets, and we've got blazechurch.org slash Bible slash worship. Here's our next practical way that we're going to be all in. And I'm going to encourage you to do this this week. This is going to make it hard. Before you make the choice, because again, you're going to make the choice. We all do, all day long. Before you actually make the choice and then display the behavior that you're going to display based on the choice you make, I want you to take the card and I want you to put it up on the table on the side that you are choosing in that moment. I want you to say, you know what? I'm on the phone with somebody, and they're just not getting it, and I'm just going to assume the worst, that they just don't understand. And I want you to put the card in that direction so you see in front of you the choice you're making. No, I'm going to believe the best. The person let me down again, but I'm still going to choose to believe the best. This is a practical way for us to start truly loving people. Because I really believe, guys, if our vision— is to reach the east end of Long Island with the gospel of Jesus so that people might know God and find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. It's going to take a group of people who truly love people, right? It's going to take a church that says, no, we actually love people. I may disagree with you. I may not see that that point the way you see it. Yet, I'm going to believe the best, and I'm going to truly love people. And after all, 
this is exactly what Jesus did for us. And today, we're going to remember that through celebrating communion together. So in just a moment, our welcome team is going to come, and they're going to distribute our communion elements. But before they do, I'd love to pray for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you chose to truly love us. That Jesus, you came to this world so that we might be saved so that we might be made new, so that our lives would change and the way we live would be different. God, this message, it's hard. It's not normal. It's not the regular cultural narrative we hear to believe the best. But Lord, we know through your Spirit's power, we can have the kind of love that Paul wrote of. So God, I pray that each person today knows this love from you, and that we would demonstrate this love towards others. In Jesus' name, amen.